0: On November 14th, 2021, I preached a sermon entitled, We Are Baptistic, and many of you were there during that sermon, Um, and that's the only, and I believe the last time, I addressed our Baptist ecclesiology. Now, our members have been having a series of meetings recently on this issue Baptist ecclesiology and we're thinking things over about our church identity and the decisions that we're going to make in the future but what i wanted to do is clarify why the membership of our church is baptistic i don't want this to just be an issue of title but an issue of conviction, whatever we decide in the future as matters of prudence for the rest of our members, um, as a matter of theological principle, I wanted to clarify why we are a Baptist church. Now, on that sermon, November 14th, 2021, I chose the word Baptistic, and I have often said that we are Baptistic in this church. The reasons I chose that terminology, Baptistic, is because, number one, before we planted Church of the Vine, um, we were part of Valley Bible Baptist Church, who, from my leading, joined the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention. However, the Southern Baptist Convention in recent years has had a lot of uh, difficulty and turmoil and disagreement on fundamental issues. And so when we replanted Church of the Vine, I thought it best not to join a, a denomination that was wrought with such fundamental disagreements on things and to support Heart Cry Missionary Society rather than joining the SBC and supporting the missionaries there. That's the route we chose. I'm glad we did, and I think it saved us from a lot of confusion as a church. Um, Also, too, this would have made us an independent Baptist church, and that has a certain ring to it. And for for me, I wanted to avoid that independent Baptist church. So I've often said that we're a Baptistic church, non-denominational, Baptistic church. My fear is that has just only led to confusion about our church identity. And what I want to do is clarify our church identity. Again, no matter what our our membership decides in the coming weeks and months regarding how we bring in members to our church, I wanted to clarify our church identity. So... Instead of saying Baptistic, I am going to put my flag in the ground right now and just say we are a Baptist church. And in the following three weeks, I want to clarify why that is through Scripture. Through Scripture. This is not a matter of history, although I think history is important. I want to clarify through Scripture why... We are a Baptist church and why I'm saying that we're a Baptist church. Maybe you don't even know that you're a Baptist, but the members of this church are. Um, So what do I mean by Baptist? Number one, I mean that through our reading of Scripture, we come to certain conclusions about Scripture. Number one, we come to the conclusion that the church is a regenerate community. Number two, we come to the conclusion that baptism is an outward sign that testifies to a spiritual reality. Number three, we believe that the final human court of appeal in the church is the church members itself, even as they are led by multiple and qualified elders. If you agree with those statements, you are a Baptist. That's what makes you a Baptist. Those conclusions, therefore, we share with other men and women who come out of the Reformation 500 years ago, and that's what makes us Baptists. Now, I know there's three types of people that I'm looking at right now. Number one, some of you are stable and convinced about these things. And you're, and I'm glad you are. but i i wonder if you're stable and convinced about these things because you've assumed this teaching as you've been brought up or inherited this teaching and haven't really done a deep theological investigation as to why you actually believe these things so for you if that's you maybe it's not maybe it is but if that's you what I want to do is come under that conviction and support it with theological and biblical foundations. So if you're firm in your convictions, great. This sermon series, I want to support with biblical foundations. Then there are some of you who are questioning and slightly puzzled about the issue, not sure why this is important, or maybe even are are wondering if if the Baptist view is correct, um, what I would ask you to do is just allow me to pastor you through this, through the Scripture, not through my own thoughts or understanding. Just allow yourself to be pastored through this, through the preaching of the Word. And if it lands on your heart and your mind, praise God. If it doesn't, praise God. We'll, We'll talk about that too. But now I would just ask the opportunity to pastor you for the next three weeks on this issue and see what the Lord does with that in your heart. Even if you disagree with me, because I know there are some that have come to the church that do disagree with me on this issue, and I'm glad you're here, but I would like to just have the opportunity to pastor you through these things. Number three, I think there are some of you who just simply disagree with me entirely. You're not even questioning, you're already not a Baptist in in your convictions. And so what I want to do, my aim for you, is just give you some food for thought. And maybe put some stones in your shoes that make you feel uncomfortable with your pedo baptist position. That's my aim. So, very clear, this is a secondary issue, but it is an important issue so i think all theology if it's true theology is important and what we're doing in our church is we're we're going through a process where we need to grow in our conviction on this matter now some of you maybe there's a fourth kind of person some of you don't even want to be boxed in by the word baptist you know i don't want i don't want a title well if I could just say, say in all kindness, you're not that important. There have been people throughout the history of the church who have adorned this title because it accurately defines their convictions. And so I would ask you to not fall victim to the 21st century Western individualized view where you don't want to have a title, you don't want to have a gender, you don't want to, have a, you don't want to be boxed in by any definition. I would invite you to if Baptist suits you and your convictions to adopt that title. The issue itself, by the way, paedo-baptist, paido the Greek for child, sometimes infant, but usually child, um, ba- Pado baptist so it's those who baptize infants. We are credo-baptists, meaning those who confess the creed, i.e. the gospel, are those who, bat- who are baptized. The issue itself revolves around two questions. Number one, who are the people of God? Number two, what role does baptism play? Who are the people of God? What role does bath- baptism play? There are people like Catholics um, who believe that infants are saved in virtue of baptism. And so we divide over them. We are very concerned about their salvation in general. um, And we don't take them seriously because they don't argue from Scripture. So I'm not even going to address Catholic views itself. But I am going to address Presbyterian and Reformed views on baptism. We do take their position seriously because they do argue from Scripture. The Presbyterian... Reformed Paito-Baptist view of baptism, this is the general accepted view, is that the church is a mixed community of both believers and their children, i.e., unbelievers. And just as circumcision brought infants into the old covenant community, so baptism brings infants into the new into the church now, the new covenant community now. Therefore, the church is a mixed community of believers and unbelieving children, which is entered into by family descent and baptism. Are we clear on that? So, the paedobaptist baptist view is the church has believers and unbelievers in it. The New Covenant community, believers and unbelievers. That is, believers and their children who do not yet believe. But just as Abraham circumcised his children and brought... His children into the old covenant. Therefore, believers should baptize their children and bring them in to the new covenant community. That's the Pato-Baptist position. What I want to do is disagree with that today. I want to show you why we strongly believe and why what I would pose this to you. To strongly believe that God's church is a regenerate church. That is, that God's church is comprised of people who believe the gospel and have the Holy Spirit. Number two, I would like to argue that baptism is an outward sign which is given to us to testify to a present spiritual reality. So those are two things I want to argue today from Scripture, or at least show you, explain why Baptists believe this from Scripture. The church, church, when we say the word church, our new covenant community, we are speaking about Christians. Number two, when we say baptism, we're speaking about that ordinance that already testifies to a present union with Christ. Good? Good? Is there water back there, Gary? Yes. Is there water back there? Give me one second. Sharp sharp left. Sharp left. Thank you. I have three points today. The first point is this. Circumcision of the flesh is not fulfilled by baptism in the Bible, but by circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Let me say that again. Circumcision of the flesh is not fulfilled by, is not replaced by baptism, but circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. The main theological case for infant baptism is the assertion that circumcision has been replaced by baptism. Abraham circumcised his children, so now Baptism is the fulfillment of circumcision, and so we should baptize our children, thus bringing them into the New Covenant community. Ligonier Ministries is a Reformed, paedobaptist baptist ministry. And there's an article online which you can look up. The article is called, What is the Presbyterian and Reformed View of Baptism? They write... Under the Old Covenant, children were considered members of the covenant community and were granted the sign of initiation into that covenant, which was circumcision. Under the New Covenant, the substance of the one overarching covenant of grace has not changed. Only the administration has. Therefore, children of believers are to receive the sign of initiation which is now baptism. So, this is not... I hope I'm accurately representing the paedo-baptist view, because these brothers, who are our brothers, and I want to make that very clear, reformed paedo-baptists are brothers, and they are very well studied in Scripture. And I have learned just a confession, I have learned far more from Reformed Presbyterians than I have from Baptists. Um, yet, on this matter, I disagree, and Baptists have disagreed on the issue of baptism, and we do see it to be a lacuna in their theology. So, they believe that old covenant children were members of the covenant and were initiated into that covenant through, bapti- through circumcision. In the New Covenant, members are initiated by family descent and baptism likewise. I remember my friend, good friend, Presbyterian, attended a Presbyterian reformed seminary. We were playing basketball, and before we started playing, we always debated on baptism, still do. And um, he said to me, you see, Eric, Abraham circumcised his children, and his descendants. He said to me, what do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that Abraham circumcised his descendants? And I said to him, we believe, and we would argue, that circumcision is not replaced by baptism, not another outward sign, but circumcision of the heart, an inward transformation. So, was i correct in saying that or not i would invite you to go to romans 2 28 and 29 because the issue here is really one of hermeneutics what saith the scripture i don't i'm very uninterested about a theological grid that we put over scripture it's just what does the scripture say how does scripture define its own terms The Apostle Paul... Yeah, if you go to slideshow, start from the beginning. There you go. The Apostle Paul writes, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not for man but from God. In this passage Paul is talking about who a true child of God is and the handle for that is Jew. Who is a true Jew? He says a true Jew is not one outwardly. So he's defi- he's redefining Jew, a child of God from those who are ethnically descended from Abraham to those who are internally transformed by the Holy Spirit. And he also shows us that the fulfillment of circumcision in this passage is not another outward sign, but an inward transformation, circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So, a true Jew is one inwardly, not by family descent, and circumcision is not fulfilled by baptism, but circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So the circumcision of the flesh has been replaced with circumcision of the heart, and that is exactly what the prophets had said all along. In Deuteronomy ten sixteen, God to- told Israel to circumcise their hearts. See, the resolution to their unfaithfulness was inward transformation. Jeremiah four four, circumcise your hearts, O Israel. So it is the, the, what is the connection, I ask you, what is the connection that Scripture itself makes between, with circumcision? Is it circumcision to baptism, or is it circumcision of the flesh to circumcision of the heart? I would argue, just cutting straight to the chase, that Romans 2, 28 and 29, clearly defines the fulfillment of circumcision of the flesh as circumcision of the heart. So the new covenant, therefore, so this is a matter of biblical theology. So we see that the new covenant differs from the old covenant in that the law is not just outward and written down. Rather, the law is now written on our heart by the Holy Spirit. And circumcision, therefore, is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, the connection, the very connection that Scripture itself makes, is one between the outward sign of circumcision to the inward transformation of circumcision. So I, as I read the Bible, I I see the main failure of the Pado Baptist position being one of hermeneutics, that it fails to conform its theology to the connections that scripture itself makes. What we see in the Old Testament is types and shadows. And we see types and shadows that prefigure and foreshadow the greater fulfillments of the new covenant era. The greater fulfillments. And so what God has given us in Baptist, in um, regeneration, he's not just given us another outward sign, he's given us an inner transformation of the man, new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. So something happens to a Christian when they believe they receive the Holy Spirit, and Paul defines that as a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. The, the problem, as I see it, with the Pado Baptist position is they assume that God is creating their people, creating his people now, his new covenant people, the same way as he created his old covenant people through outward signs. And so one writer calls this Judaizing the New Testament. He says, In thus Judaizing the New Testament, Pado Baptists import. Old Testament concepts of covenantal holiness, external members of the covenant and covenant children, into the New Testament, even though these distinctions are entirely abolished by the New Testament and completely foreign to its teaching. So, what I'm, what I'm pleading with you is to let Scripture define itself, rather than take a grid and put it on scripture and demand that scripture be interpreted in light of that grid take off the grid and ask yourself how does scripture define its own terms so i know i've said this about 12 times in the past 30 or 5 minutes but circumcision is not fulfilled by baptism in scripture circumcision is fulfilled ...by an inward heart circumcision... ...i.e. the theological word is regeneration. So that's my first point. If a paedobaptist was arguing for his position... ...that's their main um, basis... ...for why they baptize infants... ...because they believe that... ...the, the connection is circumcision to baptism... ...and I'm arguing that the connection that Scripture itself makes is from circumcision of the flesh to circumcision of the heart. All right, next point. What about how does one enter the New Covenant? I argue that one does not enter the New Covenant people of God, i.e. the Church, in virtue of being born to believing parents, but by being born again through the Holy Spirit. So I, I don't believe, as I read Scripture, that you are brought in to God's covenant people, the Church, by being born to Christian parents. The way you're brought in is by being born again by the Holy Spirit, being regenerated. What I see in my conversations with Pato-Baptist friends and acquaintances is a confusion between being born believing parents and being born of the Holy Spirit. You know what the word confuse means? It means to fuse together with. So I see them fusing together, being born born by believing parents and being born of God. I want to read you the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 74, which is a Pado baptist catechism. The question is, should infants be baptized? The answer is yes. Infants, as well as adults, are in God's covenant and are His people. They, no less than adults, are promised the forgiveness of sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who produces faith. Therefore, by baptism, the mark of the covenant infants should be received into the Christian church. Which is an amazing thing to say that family descent and baptism is what brings a person into the Christian church. That seems the exact opposite of what scripture is testifying to us that you enter the people of God not by blood but by faith. Before I get to another text I want to read you yet another Pato baptist quote, this one from a very, very respected and eminently intelligent theologian um, John Murray, and he writes, baptism signifies union with Christ and membership in his body. So far, so good. It means this for both adults and infants. And so, in respect of efficacy, Baptism is for, is for infants precisely what it is for adults, namely, the divine testimony of their union with Christ. This is the purpose of baptism as a sign. And what is its purpose as a seal? As a seal, it authenticates, confirms, and guarantees the reality and the security of this covenant of grace. That is an astounding thing to say. That to baptize an infant, you are guaranteeing that they are in the covenant of grace. I know people who were baptized as infants and who are currently not walking with the Lord. So at the very best, those quotes I just read you, at the very best, they're confusing. They confuse, so what are you saying about children's spiritual state? What are you saying about an infant's spiritual state? And what are you saying that baptism actually does? At the very best, I am confused about what they mean. At the worst, I think this could actually communicate baptismal regeneration that baptism actually has saving efficacy in a person's life. Bobby Jameson, Baptist theologian, writes, paedo-baptism confuses being born again, or being born of Christian parents with being born again by the spirit. It effectively communicates that the new birth is something you inherit by natural birth. And I think, again, that at best is confusing At worst, it might lead people into an incorrect view of their spiritual status with Christ. What does the New Testament say? Is one brought into the New Covenant by believing parents and baptism? Answer, no. John 1, 11 through 13. Gary, if you want to pull that up. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. So the Jewish people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who are the sons of God? It's all who received and believed on his name. Those are the ones he gave the right to become sons of God. Then there are negations in this passage. Those who are sons of God are not sons of God because they are born of blood. That is directly referring to family descent. And it's negating that family descent brings one into being a child of God. But born of God, that is, born of the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So this this passage is rejecting that family descent brings one into God's favor. What brings one into God's favor is the reception of the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. So the right to become children of God, then, is given to those who receive and believe in his name. I would invite you also now to turn to Jeremiah 31, if you would. This, because what I just said, is what the prophets prophesied in the Old Testament. If we were doing maybe a Bible study, we would go to Old Testament passages and develop this more fully. But I And I... I'm skipping a lot of passages here, but one I want to take you to is the fundamental passage that points to the New Covenant, and that's Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This is when God promises a New Covenant people. And this is the passage that is quoted in Hebrews 8 as well, in which the New Testament authors pick up as identifying the very the very thing that Christ brings us into through his shed blood and resurrection. Here it is. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and a new covenant with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke though I was their husband declares the Lord very interesting he says it's not like the other covenant there's a difference there's a discontinuity between the old covenant and the new covenant going on for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord so this is the content of the covenant I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and they and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. Amen. What a promise the new covenant is. One of four things I see in that passage. Number one, the new covenant's not like the old covenant, it's not going to be based on family descent. What is it based on? The law will be written on their heart. This is precisely what Paul says in Romans 2. It is a transformation of the heart by the Spirit. The life of God indwelling them. Number three, they will all know me. So it's not like everyone in this covenant has a knowledge of God. This means that everyone is cognitively and consciously placing their faith in Jesus Christ and has a knowledge of God. And they are all forgiven. I will forgive their iniquity. So this marks a change. This new covenant marks a change in how God creates a people. That is the shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. The law is now written on the hearts of people. All have the knowledge of God. All are forgiven. God's new covenant people are a regenerate people. That is the exact promise of the new covenant. That's what it means to be a Christian. In the old covenant they were not regenerate. In the new covenant, they are. That's that is the promise of the new covenant. So again, theologically speaking, to our paedobaptist Baptist brothers, the error I see in infant Baptist theology is another hermeneutic one. One Baptist writer explains Baptism paedobaptism, that is, mistakenly assumes that in a crucial way God is forming his new covenant people the same way he formed his old covenant people by family descent. Paedobaptists extend the covenant sign of baptism to infant children of believers because they believe those infants are included in the new covenant. But a person enters the new covenant not by natural birth but by spiritual rebirth. And all those in the new covenant have their sins forgiven and know the Lord. All those in the new covenant have God's law written on their heart. All those in the new covenant have God's spirit living in them, renewing them, enabling them to walk in God's ways. Being born to Christian parents is no guarantee that these new covenant realities will be true for someone. It is no guarantee, as opposed to what John Murray said, that baptism of the infant guarantees the benefits of the covenant of grace, which is an astounding thing to say. I would argue, and I think scripture is very clear, that being born to Christian parents, being born of blood, like Jesus says, is not what brings you into God's grace, but receiving and believing Jesus Christ alone. It's Christ who we trust, not those whom we are born by. Nor do we trust an outward sign to bring us into a covenant. We trust in the Holy Spirit to regenerate us. Now, to bring that together, because I don't, I don't want this to be a fire hose sermon where I just throw all the information at you. I want you to sit with that over the week. And I don't want the pulpit to be a defense mechanism here. I want to talk to you about this. So if you differ or disagree with me, first of all, you are free to do that. You are free to disagree with me. But like I said at the members' meeting last week, if you do disagree, have a good reason. Have a good biblical, theological reason. Because I. I want, to, I want to argue from Scripture and convince you from Scripture and I want to be convinced from Scripture itself. I do think that this view is the biblical view, so I would ask you to give it audience. Now, here are the unwarranted leaps I see the Pato baptist position make, making. First, the unwarranted leap that circumcision is replaced by baptism. That's not the connection that Scripture makes. Circumcision was meant to prefigure and foreshadow the greater reality of circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. And I hope that's made clear by Romans 2. No one is a Jew outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. Both of those have been transformed. How? A A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. So I see an unwarranted leap. That connection between circumcision and baptism is not made in Scripture. The connection that is made in Scripture is circumcision of the flesh to circumcision of the heart. Please consider that. Number two, we saw that Pedobaptist baptist theology assumes that God is creating his new covenant church the same way he created his old covenant people, by family descent and an outward sign. But I hope it's made clear by Jesus' words in John that the sons of God are born not of blood, but of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what the prophets prophesied. That's all I have to say about paedo-baptism today. Now I'm going to preach the sermon to you. No, I'm (laughs) trying That's all I want to say. Uh, I love Pado baptist brothers and sisters. I think they're very wise in scripture. I think we get to learn a lot from Pado baptist churches. But on this issue, honestly, on this issue, I see a glaring and obvious hole in their theology. So my uncharitable conclusion... Let me give an uncharitable conclusion here. My uncharitable conclusion regarding paedo-baptism is that it's just a trace of Catholicism left over from the Reformation. And it's not... We haven't reformed our reformed and Presbyterian churches yet. And Calvin, this covenant theological um, reasoning for paedobaptism baptism didn't exist until John Calvin. Before that, the only theology backing infant baptism was the Catholic Church and baptismal regeneration. So that's my uncharitable conclusion. My charitable conclusion about paedobaptist baptist brothers and sisters is this. I believe that part of what's motivating this position is a genuine and holy concern for their children. What exactly is the spiritual status of our children? What about the spiritual state of infants who died ten days after they were born, or infants who died in the womb? What about babies who never had a chance To repent and believe, like Jesus said? What if they never had a chance to look at God's creation that testifies to his goodness and greatness? What if they had never had a chance to believe the gospel? I think that is, by and large, maybe not by and large, for many, I think that is a motivating factor. In why this Paedo-Baptist position is so attractive? What's our response to this? A few things. Your first response should be the goodness of God. Will not the God of this world do what is right? Will he forsake you? Will he Allow infants to be victimized by a fallen world and send them to eternal condemnation. I, I think the God of this world will do what is right. He formed their inward parts, and I am of the opinion, I can't preach this as gospel, but I am of the opinion, after thinking about this for about a year and a half, two years now, that infants. Who die young or in the womb I do believe that God's grace is upon them so I want to give you two texts two arguments for that because I don't want to just be emotional about it nevertheless I would say looking at God's character is not a matter of emotion it's a matter of practical theology looking at God's character and drawing conclusions about his character but many people have done that and have gone astray so i don't want to just leave it at god's character i want to go to actual texts i love it when we argue and people give me a text that's how to really convince someone of something theologically give me a passage something i can sink my teeth into that that i can words that i can look at that actually convince me about what you're saying So, do we have hope that those who have never been able to see the greatness of God or see the gospel, do we have any texts that give us hope for those people? I think we do. These infants. First is John 9, verse 41. Jesus healed a blind man. And after this, the Pharisees become very upset because primarily they're jealous and they're losing followers to this Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I have come to give sight to the blind and to blind the eyes of those who see. And so the Pharisees said, Are we blind to them? And here's what he says to them in John 9, verse 41. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. What I find interesting there is the assertion that if they were blind, they would have no guilt. In the Greek, they would not have sin. That is, if they lacked the natural ability to see God's glory in Christ, they would not be guilty. That, to me, implies that God will not condemn infants because they are blind, and therefore he would not impute sin to them. They have not seen what the Pharisees saw. They haven't seen the miracles. They haven't heard the testimonies. How would they? How, well, how does the Apostle Paul say people will believe? How will they believe unless what? Someone tells them. Right. So, the the problem with the Pharisees, is that they weren't actually blind. They they were rejecting the testimony of God. But those who are blind would not have guilt, Jesus says. I think that gives us very solid hope for those who have died very young. The next text I'd like to bring to you is Romans 1, verse 18 through 20. so that they are without excuse. Why is the wrath of God revealed? Why does Paul say the wrath of God is revealed? Because people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why are they with, without excuse? Because those clearly perceivable evidences of God in His glory are out there. Ready, ready to be accessed by reason logic and simply looking I think the existence of a creator is one of the most and more obvious things in the world this is why they're without excuse because though clearly perceivable they reject that obvious testimony in nature But I would would point out the obvious, that infants have not suppressed the truth. Nor have they been given the opportunity to perceive God's eternal power and divine nature and creation. They don't suppress the truth. So, oh, my time is up. What was that? (laughs) So... Aside from other passages which talk, which talk about David going and seeing his departed son, that he has confidence there, I think we have solid hope for infants who have maybe died in the womb or who have died young. So the question is this, in closing. What do we do with our children so, if we are Baptistic or we are a Baptist church, how do we disciple our children? I would ask you and encourage you to teach them the scripture. And do family Bible studies together. And talk with them about the Bible when you rise up and Christ on the way. Redeem times in the car. Have long walks about down the road and look at God's creation and see how it testifies and tell your children about those things. And disciple them towards faith in Jesus Christ. And then pray earnestly that they will be born of God. Pray earnestly for their salvation and that God would see them safely into his heavenly kingdom. Pray earnestly... And disciple them earnestly towards an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And withhold baptism from them until they themselves can make a true confession of faith for themselves. When you know it's not coerced by social pressure, or because this is an act other people have done, but because it's coming from a true heart that wants to testify to a present union with Christ. I would implore you not to baptize your infant and tell them that they are in God's grace without even having understood the gospel or received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and made a profession of faith for themselves. Do the opposite. Save baptism until they themselves can confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. It's my pastoral suggestion for you, and that is the discipleship strategy of our church. Now, I said in closing, but this is really in closing. I know that those who may have questions. Realize I haven't actually addressed many Pado Baptist arguments today. What about the households in Acts? What about Corinthians, where Paul suggests that a family is made holy by a believing spouse? Can infants believe? Those are the questions we're going to address next week. So next week is going to be more of a baptism sermon. What is baptism? Do we see baptism in scripture applied to someone who does not believe? What about households? All legitimate questions. Today, I merely wanted to lay before you the undergirding theological foundations. And that was circumcision of the flesh, not to baptism, but to circumcision of the heart. Also, one is part of God's family, not by human descent but by being born of God also the the motivating motivating factor that holy care for your child is a good thing i think we have hope for those who have died too young to receive the gospel a solid hope those children we do have i would encourage you to disciple until they themselves can make an honest profession of faith. Consider these things. We are a Baptist church, and these are the kinds of things that will be coming from the pulpit and our discipleship strategy. I would love to talk to you about it. I'm open to discuss things with you about it. I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Till then, let's close in a word of prayer and commit this to the Lord.